Welcome to Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Voices of Experience podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. No promotional fees have been paid to anyone appearing on Voices of Experience. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Voices of Experience on Kixie AM 880, on KKNW 1150 AM, and of course on my podcast, which you can listen to just by Googling VoicesOfExperience.com. If that's where you want to do it, there's other ways to get to it, but you can do it that way. And so we we're experiencing some rain this week, which we haven't seen in a little while. And you said, Eric, we went to a game last week together yeah. and it was 75 degrees and going, gosh. It's going to last forever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's welcome, right? Uh, it lowers the fire danger. Uh, but, man, it came like a fire hose yeah. the last few days. Yeah. But I hear the weekend's supposed to be really nice. Yeah. Now, so I did good. see a national article on just a prediction overall for the winter, and it says warmer and drier for Around here. here? Okay. Yeah. All right. So who knows? We could be in a drought situation, you know, if we don't get that snowpack. That's right. That's for sure. That's that's the key. It's a snowpack. A snowpack. Yes. <laughs> well, we have a really interesting show today. I think they all are. I wouldn't ever say this is a rotten show we have coming up today. If you got anything <laughs> else to do, just leave. <laughs> you know, just this is one you want to skip. And but we're no. done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eric, play some music. Yeah, let's we'll just... exit out of here. Um, but uh, we have just a. He's going to do that. Okay. <laughs> he's he's ready. He's, he's, he's ready to go. I hear myself. He's heard enough. So, um, yeah, we do have uh, some real interesting features today. And uh, one is with a gentleman by the name of Mike Heavey. He is a former state legislator. He served in the Senate and the House. And then he became a justice in King County for many years. And uh, he took up, you know, some of us have hobbies when we leave. He certainly has some, like he climbs Mount Rainier half a dozen times. But... He spent the majority of his time, and he still does, starting a nonprofit organization called Judges for Justice. And we'll get into a little bit more detail later about what this organization is about. But essentially, he is passionate about investigating wrongful convictions in this country. He's been doing it for over 10 years now. There are some amazing, impressive results that he's had that people have been you know, sentenced to death. People right. have life sentences. And then they find out this person didn't do it. And uh, he talks about how this happens, and I find it pretty fascinating. So we'll, we'll talk about that coming up. Eric, how about you? Who do you have today? Yeah, so originally I'd uh, hoped to have a, a, a different segment on that. I just couldn't make a connection with that particular person. So uh, thankfully for me, I was able to reach Shane Fowler. He's executive director with Holden at South Center. This is a independent and memory care and assisted living facility right there in South Center. But really what we're talking about, not so much about the facility as we are just in general, what are some some of the trends that um, people as they move into retirement now are, what, what are they seeing? What has he seen from the kind of the business side of it, if you will? And uh, interestingly throughout, we talk about some statistics about boomers and who's currently retiring, what what people like to do. And and some other things on health, you know, that um, I'll just give one out real quick here that I found interesting. Um, he, he said that, uh, uh, let me see, here we go, um, that one out of five falls 
once you're in that retired position, end up in an injury. So that's a big thing is preventing falls. And how do they do that, whether you retrofit your house or if you go into facilities such as Holden. So that's kind of what that's all about. Very passionate about that issue myself. Um, having been in the industry for a while as director of the Alzheimer's Association, and it'd be nice to get an update on kind of where the, when I say industry, I don't mean it that way, but mm-hmm. where it's headed and, and the options that people have now. Well, a little spoiler alert, um, it's, it's, it's those who are in the 60s, kind of as teenagers and early 20s, that have really changed the scene. That's what you said in the 60s, right? The scene, man. It's much <laughs> groovier. Look at Eric. You look at me. It's I was not I don't think Eric was born than I was, but I never got into that you either. You never I said was going, that? Are you kidding me? No. I just, <laughs> that groovy. No, I wasn't in that groovy group. Well, I, that's I guess cool. that's what it was. It's cool. You know? But I was at Woodstock. <laughs> you were? No. <laughs> Dang it. That's, I read that, like, I think a half a million people were <laughs> estimated to be there, and then later on they do surveys, and it's like two million were there. Right. <laughs> It's like my like, ancestors were on the Mayflower uh, kind of a thing. You know, on the 100th <laughs> row there, you can see me. Yeah. Uh, meandering Musings for today with Neil Peterson. He's going to talk about postcards. Again, he's got a different uh, look on that, like he does practically everything. Voices of History for today. Um, the biggest, one of the biggest shows in history debuted this week in 1969. I don't think Tel- a television show. Yeah, oh, excuse me, television show. Okay, That's correct. I'll think that one through. All right, timeless classics for today. This song was a semi-hit in England, and that's where the artist who sang this song is from. But a wife, if you can follow this, of a program director for an Atlanta-based station in um, like 1975 was driving through Canada, and he heard this song. And he said to his, to her husband, would you please play this song that I heard? It's great. So mm. he said, sure, on this Atlanta station. And he did. It became a huge hit and uh, rose in the top 20 on the charts that year. So I don't think that's going to help a great deal either. You've been able to get it sometimes before, but right. I think uh, this one's going to be a tough one. You hear that from time to time that, you know, they just by chance played something. It becomes a big hit. I wonder how many that just totally bombed. <laughs> okay, right. I'll stick my neck out, put this record on, and people call, that's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> Throw that's it out right. the window. <laughs> yeah, people lead by their calls a lot there on that. <laughs> There's nothing, it's dead. You're looking at the Maytag or Maytag Repairman. You remember that commercial? Mm-hmm. Nothing's moving. Nothing's calling. Today, for our solopreneur uh, or self-employment part of the um, segment, it's going to talk about some of the myths about going into business for yourself and I would like to say I'm going to be joined by Mark Cuban today, but I'm not. But I'm going to talk about one of the myths, which I've been saying for a long time. Someone texted me and said, I know you've been saying this. Mark Cuban agrees. So I'm going to, um, you know. I've got him on speed dial. I can give him a call in the break. Why don't we'll, you do we'll that? We'll confirm I'm, all that up. I'm sure he's just, say Paul's yeah. here. Wanted to say hi. He'll take we'll that take call. take him on the radio live. So I guess we should uh, quit rambling here and. I think the introduction's ready to go, and we can get into our Voices of History segment in just a moment. Sounds great. Welcome to today's Voices of History. The Japanese have accepted fully the surrender terms of the United Nations. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the Second World War. We are down. 
We copy you down, Eagle. So, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Nice intro there. So here we are, Voices of History, under escort from the U.S. Army 1st Airborne Division. Nine black students enter an all-white Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, on September 25, 1957. Three weeks earlier, Arkansas Governor Orville Fabus surrounded the school with the National Guard troops to prevent the federal court from ordering racial integration. After a tense standoff, President Eisenhower federalized the Arkansas National Guard. Had that ever been done before? I can't say I know that yeah. for sure. It, has, it, did, it happened in 1963 at Alabama when Kennedy did the same thing to George Wallace standing on the front of the door. The mm. National Guard was there. And I've always wondered what it would be like to be a, a National Guardsman. You're in your mm-hmm. uniform, and the governor is saying that you are protecting and working for the state to keep order and keep, mm-hmm. in this case, the Negroes at the time out mm-hmm. of this school. And then an executive order goes out and says, now you're working for the federal government. And all of a sudden, you go from keeping the black students out to now protecting them and escorting them in in a matter of a minute. You're standing there and your allegiance just switched. Sure. I think it's incredibly fascinating that that happened. I imagine there's somewhere an interview with one or two of those guards. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah you're right. I'll see no doubt about it. That's true. It's, it was 1957, so you're probably right there. All right, on uh, September 26, 1965, the Kansas City Athletics star Satchel Paige pitched a game against the Boston Red Sox. The Negro League legend was 59 years old when he did this, Wow! and he pitched three shutout innings, allowing only one hit. That's amazing. I never heard that. Either had I. Wow. I never knew anybody threw a pitch in the major leagues at 59 years old, let alone Pitched three innings. I'm 56, and I can barely find my glasses every morning. You know, <laughs> good Lord. He was quite a man. He was. Satchel Page. I mean, obviously. That's an yeah. understatement. You still got time. I still got time. <laughs> three years of training? Yeah. Sure. Uh, Might get there. Now, one thing we don't need, the Mar- well, we need some hitting, but the Mariners are going to continue. they got to get that, uh, continue their great pitching. It's faltered some, so maybe they'll call on you. There you go. don't know. Man, we're in bad straits if they're calling me <laughs> off the bench. <laughs> It's time for the exits. Get <laughs> right. the exits. Get in the car. Let's, get, in, let's get into football. <laughs> All right. On September 26, 1969, the Brady Bunch premiered Brady. on ABC and quickly became one of the most popular, popular shows in TV history. Uh, Sherwood Schwartz, how do you say his name? He was the producer. He also know. produced Gilligan's Island. Two oh, is that hits. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did not know that. Sherwood Schwartz. I, I don't think I ever watched an episode. Two of shows the where the, the theme song really explained everything you needed to know <laughs> yeah, about exactly. the show. So it didn't matter if you were tuning in the fifth season for the first time. It was all laid out there in the theme song in both of those shows, Gilligan's Island and uh, The Brady Bunch. Now, were you a fan of the Brady Bunch? Did you watch that as a kid? I, I kind of liked it as a kid. Okay. Yeah, you remember the horse on the on the table by the stairs? It's it was a big statue that they had there. It was always in like every other scene. It was in there. Anyway, 
I read a quick article on it. Said they they move that statue around each episode. Oh, okay. So now I want to go back and check it. Is out. that just cool <laughs> with the audience, or somebody would yeah, notice that? And I go, think one of the kids probably did it. There, just, yeah. yeah just, but did that? Uh, I think that house just sold uh, recently. Two point something million. Completely original. Wow. Okay, you Brady Bunch fans. Yeah, you got me all excited. Yeah. Okay. So we'll move on to again Franklin Roosevelt. Who wants to talk about? It? Well, anyhow. On September 27, 1938, he sent a letter to Adolf Hitler saying, hey, let's not, you know, stop this stuff in Europe. Don't invade Czechoslovakia, please, for the peace of the world and all that. In his letter, he reiterated that we should all find a peaceful solution. And in the end, Hitler did that the heck he wanted. Right. <laughs> and that's the way we became the ally bunch. Yeah. Ally. Sorry, I'm still <laughs> stuck in were you paying attention to him before? I don't know. We what? might have a gas leak in here. We might have a gas leak. I don't yeah, know. Maybe we're all we being talked a about goofy. evacuating the studio. You know, we're talking about a fire before you came on. You know, get a fire alarm. <laughs> what would we do? We'd have to leave. Okay, so I'm going to do this one. On September 28, 1918, a Liberty Loan parade in Philadelphia prompts a huge outbreak of the Spanish flu. By the time the pandemic ended, so that's what, uh, tomorrow in 1918, it broke out in a big form. But the pandemic ended in uh, around that time, a year later, but estimated 20 to 50 million people around the world died. Now, that's a big gap there. I, I don't quite yeah. know why it hasn't been narrowed some on that. But the most likely origin for the pandemic came from a bird farm or something in the American Midwest virus then traveled through birds, pigs, or sheep. They don't know for sure, but eventually, like it does, it mutated into the animal, or excuse me, the human population. Mm -hmm. But the best evidence suggests the flu spread slowly in the U.S., like six or seven months, and then the first half of the year. But this parade in Philly just all of a sudden was Mm -hmm. spread it massively. And what's even, I think, more interesting, and you'll know why in a second, that that was the time of World War I, and we had just entered the war, and we sent like 200,000 American troops to Europe, and they carried it over there. Mm. But the thing I think is interesting, up until I read this, I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was the American troops coming home from Europe, that the flu was uh, had its origins in Europe and brought it back to the United States. But yeah. totally opposite of what I thought. So uh, anyhow, uh, let's go to more local information and um that is on september 25th 2008 we probably all remember this federal regulators seized washington mutual due to the bank's over-the-top marketing of the prime mortgages and poor quality loans also known as wamu it was sold to jp morgan chase this ended a 119 year run as seattle's one of them are uh Premier banking institution. Wow. Remember that? Yep, 100%. And I think that was before everything started unravel. That was kind of a precursor to all these loans, bundled loans yeah. that were bad. It hit Washington Mutual. They went out of business, and then it all came back. So let's see, one more, and that is President Roosevelt again. He made a secret visit to the state in 1942 around this time. He arrived at Fort Lewis. Then he went to the... the um, Puget Sound Naval Shipyard in Bremerton, and then he went to the Boeing bombers to view they were being assembled in Seattle during World War II, so he did that. After spending the night at his daughter's 
in, Pug- in, in excuse me, in Mercer Island, Washington. He traveled to Vancouver, Washington. I never knew he had a daughter who lived here. No, but she lived in Mercer Island. Wow. So I think that's some pretty interesting. Absolutely, local I history. believe uh, some of his grandchildren still live in the area. I did really. Yeah. Okay. There you go. There you go. All right. So there were voices of history for today. You have been listening to Voices of History. If you have historical events that you would like to share, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Okay, we are back, and uh, we're going to be talking now with Mike Heavey and taking some clips from him. He uh, spoke at Rotary last week, and we got some of the clips from that. But again, as I introduced at the beginning of the show, that uh, he is one that has been passionate about people who have been wrongly convicted. He's built a website about that, and uh, I'm going to talk about that, and we're going to comment about this. But let's first here, let's set it up here. This was one of the major cases that got him very interested, and I think we've all heard of this, the Central Park Five. Let's hear some of that, him, and then some of clips from that time. Tunnel vision has what the Canada prosecutors call a perverse byproduct. This byproduct is called noble cause corruption. Police and prosecutors are on a noble cause. Capture the killer, lock him up, and make our communities safe. Law enforcement takes on an attitude of the end justifies the means. An attitude of we know he's guilty, let's help the jury conclude the same. Blinded by their tunnel vision, police bend the rules. Don't follow established procedures. Prosecutors go all out to get a conviction, forgetting their primary duty is not to convict, but to seek justice. The case against the Central Park Five began with four videotaped confessions. The five boys between the ages of 14 and 16 had no attorneys, They were confronted by determined and angry detectives, absolutely sure that the marauding group of teenagers in the park that night had been involved in the jogger assault and rape. The confessions were the only evidence against the defendants. Let's look at another power tool of noble cause corruption, inflammatory media. In 1989, the mayor of New York City was Ed Koch. He joined the almost universal condemnation of the accused teenagers. When parents or grandmothers uh, of some of these uh, alleged uh, perpetrators, we always have to say alleged because that's the requirement. When those grandmothers say, but he's a good boy, he never did anything. Don't you believe it? Donald Trump joined in the public condemnation of the accused. He talked about how he hated the five teens and took out ads in four New York dailies, calling for a return of the death penalty. You better believe that I hate the people that took this girl and raped her brutally. You better believe it. Trump put his money where his mouth is by taking out this full-page ad in four New York City newspapers. When the DNA of a suspect doesn't match the crime scene DNA, law enforcement turns to the power tool of ignoring and or manipulating the forensic science. In each of these convictions, when the DNA did not match 
the suspect, the prosecutor came up with an argument that there was another perpetrator who left the semen, but the defendant refuses to identify him. From almost the beginning, the prosecution knew that semen DNA found on the jogger's sock did not match any of the defendants. After the April 1989 jogger sexual assault, there was a manhunt for a killer rapist dubbed the East Side Slasher. He'd been terrorizing the Upper East Side for months. On August 5th, 1989, three and one-half months after the jogger assault, the man was arrested. In 2002, Matias Reyes told officials that on the night of April 19th, 1989, he had assaulted and raped the Central Park jogger. Reyes said he committed the crime alone. His DNA was a match to the semen left at the crime. The Manhattan District Attorney, Robert Morgenthau, told reporters, if we knew then what we know now, we wouldn't have indicted those guys. After a thorough review of the matter, he recommended vacating the convictions of the five defendants. So there you have it. Um, that was one of the ones that I think we have all remember, the Central Park Five. And uh, it just spread nationally that these people were guilty. So end of discussion. How does this happen? And what and why I'm bringing this up today is that it happens a lot more often than we think. And I've noticed as I've gotten more into this issue with um, the judge that essentially that I don't now go maybe more than two or three weeks before I'll see a newspaper article or something on television or something that somewhere in Georgia or back east or maybe New Mexico or even around here that someone's been in jail for 20, 25, 30 years and they found that it was incorrect. And then how does this happen? They find out, like, for example, there, which uh, Judge Heavey talked about, is that the DNA didn't match on the sock. It wasn't the person. But still, they made up another narrative and were able to find all these people guilty. And he um, you know, talks about why, why this happens. And it's something caused noble, it's called noble cause corruption, meaning that, first of all, the murder's a big one. Now, he was involved with Amanda Knox over in Italy, had a lot to do with that, Hmm. and um, because she actually lived next door to him in West Seattle, and her daughter went to school with her. Anyhow, that's a sidebar. It's not in this country because they have a different system of how they work it, but a lot of it is what sets the stage for this? And it is, it's a high profile murder. The prosecutor needs to get a conviction. And basically the police are there to help them get that conviction and how things break down. Um, it's kind of those things, you know, get into, uh, to the mix. You find, um, another reason it happens is that the confession is coerced. I mean, again, the 48 hours talking to them, no lawyer, whatever, and they're just, you know, so tired and beaten. It kind of happened here in this particular case with the Central Park Five. They just, you know, we did it. We're sorry at some point. Um, But, uh, you know, a lot of it, too, is the 
unreliability of witnesses. There's a lot of that that goes on. And, um, you know, again, it's a combination of the prosecuting, as Mike Heavey said, not maybe in this segment, but one that the prosecutor's office is not to get convictions, it's to find justice. And too many of that is scoreboard. I got 18 mm-hmm. convictions or 80 convictions in a row. I'm doing my job. Not really. If, if people are going um, to jail or even execution because of that. So there's a number of cases that he's involved in. I wanted to pay just another very quick segment, and that's about a case that he got involved with in Hawaii, Dana, Ireland. I'll discuss that in just a moment after we hear this. The Hawaii Supreme Court relied on this evidence to affirm the convictions. Judges for Justice respectfully submits that righteousness compels that Albert Ian Schweitzer be released from prison as soon as possible. Judges for Justice respectfully submits that righteousness compels the exoneration of the three innocent men, Frank Pauline Jr., Albert Ian Schweitzer, and Sean Schweitzer. Judges for Justice respectfully submits that righteousness compels that the police vigorously pursue and apprehend Dana Ireland's real killer. All right, so that was uh, Hawaii. Dana Ireland was killed in 1991, so this was a long Mm -hmm. time ago. And he's just been pursuing this for a very long time. He did a 14-part series on YouTube. You can watch it on judgesforjustice.org. And essentially, all the elements entered into this. And uh, that was a recording that was made about three years ago. I mean, he was asking, he said, we don't have the evidence. You have to let these guys go. Mm-hmm. And still nothing happened. And um, it's just in, very recently in the last several months where the evidence did point to these guys did not do it. One guy was killed in jail, so he was taken out. The other guy's um, testimony essentially was given to him like, if you turn in this other guy, you will get your sentence commuted. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Even though he knew full well they had nothing involved in it. So anyhow, here is the final uh, part of this segment. We'll move on, but it just shows, again, what occurred and the perseverance of uh, Judge Heavey in seeing this through, and this is what happened, again, just a few months ago. But therefore, the conviction of Albert Ian Schweitz for murder in the second degree, kidnapping, and sexual assault in the first degree is hereby vacated. I got targeted, literally, um, by a very malicious prosecution in the police department. It didn't matter if I was innocent. They just needed a conviction. It was horrifying. I feel like um, they did to me what they charged me of. You know, I feel like they murdered 25 years of my life. I feel like they kidnapped me away from my family. I feel like they raped me of being a son, a father, a uncle, a husband, a dad. And uh, I wish this upon no innocent man or, or no innocent parent, you know, to go through something like this. The system is flawed and the system is also great. So there he is. He's just been released from prison after 25 years. And uh, Mr. Schweitzer and uh, why you just. What an attitude to have. He said the system is flawed, but it is great. They did find, you know, that he was innocent. So now one of the things that uh, Judge Heavey does say in this 
if you want any hesitation to not pursue something like this. He said, if they have the wrong people, the real killer's still out there. So, anyhow. Interesting. So, uh, I just think uh, that's something that we should all be aware of, and I hope uh, people think about this a little bit more when they think about it. And he's made that a big part of his life. This is that's his correct. mission. That's right. And uh, that's amazing. And he certainly has the tools to go and do it. That's right. So, um, lighten things up just a bit here. We'll go and hear from Neil Peterson. What's it called? His Meanderings, Musings. Today, he talks about postcards. Postcards. Whatever happened to postcards? My childhood friend Clipper and his wife Ellie are leaving next week for what appears to be a wonderful boat cruise down the Danube River in Europe, starting in Germany and ending in Vienna, Austria. When learning about this trip, I instinctively said to Clipper, send me some postcards. Then I realized that I have not received a postcard in years, nor have I sent one. Holy cow, whatever happened to postcards? A relic, a thing of the past. Yes, they do sell them in some convenience stores, but who buys them? I get it. Why send a postcard when you have so many other options? A postcard takes some effort. You have to find the postcard to purchase. You have to put pen to paper and write out your comments. And there's an art to postcard writing. You have to know the snail mail address of the person you're sending it to. You have to write that down on the postcard. Then you have to find the right postage to place on the postcard, which can be a challenge depending upon the country you're traveling in. You have to purchase the postage and affix it to the card. And finally, you have to find a post office or somewhere else to send the postcard. A lot of effort. Now compare that to taking a picture on your phone and forwarding that via email or text messaging to the email or text number that you already have in your phone. So easy. So easy. Or just post a picture on your favorite social media platform. Nevertheless, I have to say that I miss postcards for several reasons. First, I just like getting something in my mailbox. Anything will do. It just feels good to open the mailbox and have something in it. Second, when I get a postcard, I know that someone has taken the time and effort that I talked about earlier to send it to me. It's something that I know took some effort, and it created a personal connection for me. Third, I'm dyslexic, and a postcard has a real advantage for me. Its size dictates that the writing has to be very short and sweet. Fourth, I love pictures, especially ones with lots of color. Postcards fill that bill. And finally... I love the tactile feel of a postcard. It's bendable, but sturdy. It has some character to it. You can see that there are a lot of reasons that I am somewhat mourning the lack of postcards today. However, I just realized that there's one more reason why I really miss postcards. I have a postcard collection. How can I add to it if I never get a postcard? Now, the truth is that I have not touched my postcard collection for probably some 55 years or so. I haven't even looked at it. In fact, it's in a storage container in a self-storage facility to be cleaned out at some future time. I'm sorry that I cannot access it right now so I could share with you some of my old postcards. Still, I spent some time on creating this postcard collection in an earlier stage of my life. I was somewhat proud of it. 
The cards in it brought back memories. It had some meaning. It was a way of cataloging different destinations, trips, and eras. It turns out that there's a word for the study and collection of old postcards. It's called Deltiology, from the Greek Deltion, which means small writing tablet. It also turns out that there's a word for those who are really into the frenzy of collecting postcards. It's called postcarditis. For those of you that are interested, the oldest continuously run postcard club in the United States is the Metropolitan Postcard Club of New York City, founded in 1945. Ironically, the first known picture postcard was sent in 1871 from Vienna, where Clipper and Ellie will be alighting at the end of their dramatic Danube boat cruise. Bottom line, I just realized that I miss postcards. There are a lot of literally works of art. But you know, when I was listening to that, what Neil was just going through and some of the other musings that he does, and Mm. we'll hear more of those, he reminds me of Andy Rooney. Mm, Yeah. On uh, 60 Minutes. Remember that? He would have these types of things going, he'd look at the camera and start talking about finding coins on the sidewalk or (laughs) something, or (laughs) just crazy stuff, or being a fan in the stadium. And being in a big crowd and having to go to the bathroom or something, all this stuff, just that you don't think about. And all of a sudden that hit me. That's kind of a lot what I when I hear what Neil does here. For sure. Uh, I was thinking, though, kind of com- comedically in my mind, uh, one Christmas, Eric here in the studio as a gift gave me a Jim Gaffigan CD, comedian. And he has a, he has a sketch on there where he talks about getting something handwritten in the mail these days. And his immediate reaction is, well, has somebody been kidnapped? Is this a ransom note? Because you know, it's so infrequent. True. Yeah, you would. I think I've gotten or received, that's better, there you go. Um, two communications by letters in the mail in probably 15 years. One of them was not good news, and I knew it. Somebody wrote a handwritten letter. I hadn't heard from them in a while. So I knew it probably wasn't good news, and it wasn't. But uh, that's one, and just another one mm-hmm. was from somebody who sent me a recipe or something, an older person. But that's been it. Hmm. And you used to get letters all the time, and it's, it's amazing. I'm going to Vegas soon. I'm going to send you a postcard. All right. I'll <laughs> hold my, you to that. With my last $2. Exactly. <laughs> and then it's going to be, Paul, yep. send me money. Send me money. <laughs> I got to get out of here. Um, and then if you want to just jump ahead and see – about Neil's trips, that's all you need to do is uh, Google him, excuse me, uh, text him, not Google, but yeah, Google him, excuse me, back to the, back to the focus Google. here, uh, neilstrips.com, and that's N-E-I-L-S trips.com. You can read about all of his musings. It's wonderful. Just heard from someone a few moments ago, and I'm just going to make a plug for an individual who I just think is incredible. And he's been basically picking up junk of ours for the last 10 or 15 years. No, even longer than that. And it's now fall. It's coming. Sometimes you have to do your own, clean out your basement. You want to do that. And we're talking, if you're living in at least the Seattle area, King County, I just started using them, and now there's nobody else I will ever, particularly because he's so good, but just come by and pick up your junk. You have a time. You throw it out in the driveway the night before. It's gone. I had someone tell me that they buy a vehicle 
just because they have to haul stuff to the dump. I'm going, that's pretty expensive, an $80,000 yeah, right. vehicle. Right. And you talk about, you have a decent size amount of crap that we have a lot. It's about 125 bucks. Yeah. And it's a tipping fee. He gets there, picks it up, he's gone. And I'm just saying, this guy is first rate. He came in and just did it again. I said, John, you are the best. I'm going to, I've never plugged anybody on this show, have I? No. Nope. This is the guy. So this is the one I'm doing. And if you want to give him a call and you have junk, all you need to do is call 206-441-JUNK. And I'm telling you, it is just a wonderful service. He pulls up in the morning at the time, never, never late, gone in 15 minutes, and it's all gone. 206 441 junk. 441. Oh, 206 441 junk. junk. That's easy. That's easy. So, um, anyhow, there you go, John. Hope you get some calls. So, uh, we'll be back in just a moment. When you're diagnosed with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, you just want to feel better. Steroids help get my symptoms under control, but they come with problems and long term risks. I need to look out for my future health. The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation changed everything. They encouraged me to take action and even helped me find a specialist. We now have a plan that works for today and tomorrow. Don't put off finding an answer. Spill your guts. Learn more at spillyourguts.org. All right, back to Voices of Experience, and uh, we're going to be talking now about self-employment. Really, I know a lot of people out there listening to this radio show and listening to Kixie, they're older. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that the fastest growing number of people starting businesses are over 55. So you're in really good company if you're thinking about this. You either retire, you need the money, which is, you know, that's reason to do it. Mm-hmm. But you may want to stay busy, and that's yes. another reason to do it. And I think that's a lot of the reason that people do it. And I started my business like 40-some-odd years ago, written a couple books about it. And by the way, I'll get into that in just a moment, but I into what I'm going to talk about, or Eric and I are going to talk about, and that is I got a, a book that I did write. It's called Is Self-Employment for You? And we will give a book out in each show, and today we'll do it again. And um, it's a, just about starting a business for yourself. It's got a test in it, a quiz or something like that. It, if this is something you should take a look at, or it also outlines if you have some weaknesses, it identifies those, and then you can um, improve in those areas. That's all there is to it. There's nothing on this quiz that you can't improve upon and go, I can't do it. Right. But the good news I've had is that people have read the book, Is Self-Employment for You? When they finished it, they just as many people have said, I'm going to do this now. And the same number have said, I can't do this because I don't have this skills. Because everybody wonders if they do. Mm. And that's what I try to drive at in the book. So if you want to get a complimentary copy of that, all you need to do is call 425-643-1166. Is it 653-1166? 425-653-1166. Yes. All right. Off there uh, by one number, 425-653-1166. Call for that book, and we'll get it right in the mail to you. So want to talk about um, is self-employment for you, and one of the things is 
I think there are a lot of myths about going into business for yourself. I got time for only one, and that is about uh, following your passion. And um, the myth, I think, is follow your passion and the money will follow. I think that is really on the path to not being successful. If you think, because I believe in something, it's going to work. It's analytical is what you got to be. Is there a market for this? Can I sell this? And I've been preaching this for a long time. And one of the things that I read and somebody sent to me and said, you know who agrees with you? And I said, uh, well, who's that? And he said, uh, Mark Cuban. I said, Mark Cuban said the same thing. And I go, well, that's kind of an endorsement. Uh, here's a guy who's been fairly successful. Yeah, I mean, he read your book. You know, sometime we're going to have him on the show. You know, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a while. He's got to work his way up. But nonetheless, I read something about him, and he was asked, what was the worst advice you've ever been given? And he didn't hesitate and said, follow your passion. And basically he said, if I did that, I'd still be playing basketball. <laughs> you know, because that was my passion or in baseball. But I realized I could only throw a 75 mile, mile an hour fastball. So baseball, I'm not going to go far away. So he went into business. Well, he bought a pro franchise and done other things, of course, been very successful. But again, passion is something that I would put on the back burner and I would really consider what you think you are, you know, is marketable and what will sell and what people will do. I wish I had more time to go into that. But again, if you'd like to get a free copy of this book, 425-653-1166, please leave your name, address, and phone number. We won't give it out to anybody, but you will get a free copy of this book. First person that calls. First person that calls will get it for this week. All right, so we're going to be back with uh, Eric's interview coming up in just a moment. Really happy today to be speaking with Shane Fowler. He's executive director of Holden at South Center. Holden South Center is a wonderful community uh, for those who are independent, who are needing assisted living and memory care. So I wanted to have Shane come in today and talk about what it's like to run a facility like this and what are some trends that are happening. As we all know, the baby boomers are booming into retirement. Um, By 2050, it's estimated that a fifth of the population in the United States will be 65 years or older. Shane, that's a staggering statistic. It is, and it was uh, not a surprise to to me, but when you frame it that way, you're like, wow, (laughs) Um, uh, that's going to be different, and it's going to change senior housing and the way that we age. It really is, and I'm not sure that we're 100% prepared for that mm. um, for many reasons. And the biggest one is how do we afford that? Yes. <laughs> yes, I think that's a huge concern for yeah. people. I think it's important for them them to maybe get educated early. So exactly. Learn about costs and things. Yeah, it's learning about, about costs, have a financial planner, set these things into stone and really have a path, a vision path of, of kind of what it looks like and, and really uh, prepare for it that way. So now you've been with um, Holden South Center for how long? Two years uh, uh, in October. Okay. And so it's only two years old. There you go. (laughs) And and in the industry for longer than that. Yeah. So 16 years and I've had a journey. I started off uh, in home care and home health, 
actually. Mm. Um, I was I was like, you can stay in your home and I'm going to provide every resource, right? And there are um, good points to that, but there are also for senior housing and community, um, there, there's also uh, you know, a good life for, for that as well. So uh, I, I, uh, I love both of them. Um, and then I, I went into um, marketing and kind of trying to say, uh, to inform people just like we do now on kind of the path and how we can provide resources. And then I was a, a senior executive director for a very large assisted living company. And uh, I traveled the U.S. Monday through Friday wow. and just made sure that the communities were kind of following protocol and just really uh, keeping in mind why we do what we do. Right. Talk to me about um, some questions that people should ask. If they call you or 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 go go to Holden South Center and start to discover kind of is it right for me? What are some important questions people should be asking about their living in their retirement? Yeah, I would look at the big picture, right? Um, we don't do this often enough. So, what what do you provide for me at my current stage, right? Uh, where I'm at, right? Do you do you provide? Uh, outings? Do you provide uh, meal plans? Do you have, can I have a a party in the club room, right? Those type of things. And then also going into what is the max care you provide? If if right now I don't have anything, what is the minimum like medication? And what is the maximum like a two-person maxi lift, a Hoyer lift? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also what it looks like transitioning into say memory care. Um, and then, you know, the, the biggest question is also affordability. How much does it cost realistically? You have to know this. Um, and then you, you have to know what to prepare for as far as care costs. So you may start with just the rent. How much is, you know, the care cost? What is the, the maximum? And we have that. And then also, um, you know, what are the increases annually? Uh, because you know that with inflation and changes in the economy, businesses like mine, uh, we have to adapt to that um, to pay for the staff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I imagine it would all change price-wise mm-hmm. depending on what you want to do there. Right. You know, exactly. Activities, meal plans. Um, sounds to me that unlike maybe 30 years ago, there's a lot of things in a community like this that are completely different than maybe what the stigma or vision of what it was like 30, 40 years ago. But there's also a ton of options. Right. Yeah. Well, the first thing is that the, the convalescence home idea of it's dreary, it's dark, it's dirty, the food's terrible, all of that is really out the window. Um, when you go to Holden South Center, it looks like a five-star hotel and it's very clean. It mm-hmm. smells great. It smells one, right? Mm-hmm. We think of um, smells when... Uh, Medicine. Yeah, and all of that. But it's really out the window. We really um, allow you to have to, to live in your home, which is your apartment, that's in independent assisted and memory care, and you have your your pictures and your you sometimes you'll paint everything that is individualized to you is there, and we just provide this amazing environment, including uh, the team that we have. I've done some shows in the past with um, contractors that mm-hmm. specialize in retrofitting homes, yes. for instance, for all the safety features. The thing I like about a community like Holden mm-hmm. is. Those are already built in. You you have engineers that have already pre-engineered all this, sort of thought it through, yeah. because it would seem to me that 
little things, not little things, but things like falls mm-hmm. can really turn someone's life in a bad direction. Yes. Yeah. Um, for example, we uh, don't have lips on our uh, showers, right? It's uh, really a, a, a walk-in or what we call a roll-in because it's, uh, you can roll in a shower chair. Um, and so, yes, we have all the things, um, uh, we have automatic doors that are really helpful. When you have a walker, try getting into a regular door, right? Uh, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so definitely. Yeah. And if people contact you, what's sort of the process? Do they set an appointment? Do they go through some of the questions on the phone? What's the best protocol there? Yeah, I like to just call us because then we can get straight to your questions and uh, speak with a live person. We do have um, options online, but then you go through kind of a chat and it's really just easier to call us yeah. um, and, and talk to our trained uh, sales and marketing uh, directors. And they're able to really listen to your situation and guide you through. And we have all the resources that, that can help you that you may need on top of just the information we provide. Would you recommend, if possible, if the person's okay with it, having other family members involved in the initial kind of conversations? Absolutely. As we all know, we go home, we talk to our spouse, we bounce ideas off of our friends. It's the same thing. This is a a big decision. And you've been in your home for a long time, and you're you're choosing us um, or uh, another community. And you have to be in agreement with the folks that support you. Shane, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on your success out there at Holden. I know there's a lot of great things happening there. And just your passion for the industry. Oh, thank you very much. My pleasure. You've got it. And thank you for listening. If you want to learn a little bit more about Holden South Center, check out HoldenSouthCenter.com or simply dial 206-420-3967. So that was the interview with Shane, great guy. And one of the things I talked talk to him about in that interview and a little bit off, off off the air is my wife and I are thinking about, okay, what's the next step? And definitely thinking over 55 community in our two kind of conditions are, we want to have a lot of activities there and close to an airport. Well, you'd have it if you chosen that. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah exactly, exactly. So that's great. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time for today. And... Um, just want to thank everybody, all the guests today, and I thought uh, it was fabulous, some of the contra- contributions that have been made. I'll move on next week. Uh, we have um, Fantastic Facts with Uncle John. That's his name. He wrote a book. And, you know, he just has this book full of these fun facts, like one, for example, is the most influential comedy show in history, um, the real-life Indiana Jones, um, let's say b- bizarre basketball records, all these types of things. It's a book. It's about 400 pages, and it's just full of this stuff, Love and it. uh, it's amazing. We'll also have Stu Elway, and he'll be uh, talking about what Seattle voters are thinking about for the upcoming election. And I also went down to retailers around Pike Place Market a couple weeks ago, and I talked to them about safety concerns, how's their business doing, things like that. I got some good quotes from people. I just did it because we hear how terrible it is down there. Well, what's the reality? This is not scientific poll or anything. Right. But I just walked the beat, kind of, and got some comments. I'll play those. And then, again, we will give away another book for self-employment. Is self-employment for you? Anyone who started a business, only a few can sustain a business. And um, like to uh, have someone call 425-653-1166, and they will get that complimentary copy today. Quote of the week, 
Ideology separates us. Dreams and anguish bring us together. Eugene Luesco. This week's Timeless Classic coming up next. You hear the whole thing on Kixie. You hear some of it on KKNW. On the past uh, podcast, unfortunately, we can't play that song. Have a great rest of the week. This week's Timeless Classic came about by accident. The wife of a program director for an Atlanta radio station was driving through Canada and heard this song. It had been released in England four years before. After she returned to Atlanta, she asked her husband to play the song on his station. After he played the song a few times, listeners called into the station to say how much they liked it. Soon after, the song became one of the top 20 singles in the U.S. and a much bigger hit in England than it had been before. From June of 1975, Roger Whitaker and The Last Farewell. There's a ship lies rigged and ready in the harbor Tomorrow for old England, she says Far away from your land of endless sunshine To my land full of rainy skies and gales And I shall be aboard that ship tomorrow Though my heart is full of tears at this farewell For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word can tell For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word can I heard there's a wicked war a-blazing And the taste of war I know so very well Even now I see the foreign flag raising Their guns on fire as we sail into hell I have no fear of death, it brings no sorrow But how bitter will be this last farewell For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word can tell For you are beautiful And I have loved you dearly More dearly than the spoken word can tell Though death and darkness gather all about me And my ship be torn apart upon the sea I shall smell again the fragrance of these islands In the heaving waves that brought me once to thee And should I return safe home again to England I shall watch the English mist roll through the dell For 